welcome to our radio show, The Bishops and the Vicars. Uh, joining me today is uh, Father Pat Kirst, the Vicar for Priests, and the Pastor of St. Thomas More, and Father Brian Mee, Pastor of St. Augustine's, and the Vicar of Finance. Very happy to be here today. Thank and, you. And, and once again, St. Patrick was forgotten. Yes, I... I Father uh, celebrates Mass on Wednesdays uh, for the Missionaries of Charity. I'm there on Tuesday. Father Connell is uh, off uh, today. Uh, we think we know where he is, but uh, we're going to have our show uh, anyway. Drop that. We can uh, right we here. can make presumptions of where he is mm -hmm. during the show. <laughs> yeah, so stay tuned. We'd ask you to phone in with suggestions if you have seen him somewhere <laughs> at the Northtown Mall. Um, in any case, our topic today is a bit more on the serious side. It's... Uh, the relationship of faith and reason, and um, we realize that in our culture today, so often in relativism, uh, there is this belief that um, the church uh, uh, and its ability to proclaim the gospel, it, the church with its rich tradition of education somehow is out of step with reason, is opposed to science and many other areas. Uh, how about you, Father Me? your thoughts on this topic of faith and reason? Well, if I uh, recall, I think we were going to look through Fides et Ratio, which is uh, John Paul II's document on faith and reason. From 1998. 1998. Yeah. But, Bishop, did you recall the date that he uh, promulgated? No, I did not. September 14th. Now, the question mm. is, what is September 14th besides yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> it is the it's a feast. triumph of the cross the exaltation the of the cross, cross. very yes. good now we could go historically into what that was all about but i think i i when i saw that that was a date he cho chose you know to to publish or bring out this um this document i thought well it, that's very interesting faith and reason and certainly when we think of the exaltation of the cross or the cross uh, it's that sign of contradiction. It's that thing most difficult that we simply accept on faith, or perhaps in part in, on faith. But we as believers, uh, the very place where Christ seems to be judged and condemned is we as believers recognize from the cross, uh, it's his seat of judgment where he judges sin and condemns it. So it's just the opposite of how it appears to our reason. Um, as well, it's from the cross that Christ says, I thirst. And so from a reasonable point of view, we think, well, he thirsts. But we as believers, our faith tells us it's from there that he pours out his spirit to quench our spiritual thirst. So I, I can't help but wonder in part if John Paul II um, didn't see that cross and even, you know, the, uh, the very figuring of the cross with the cross, you know, uh, and the beam across uh, as faith and reason and how, how puzzling that is. But to the mind of the believer, it's very reasonable and it's filled with faith. Right. And you mentioned believers and, and as all of us here at the table and probably most of our listeners, we are all raised uh, in the faith. Our parents did us a great favor and gave us a great gift of having us baptized into Jesus Christ. And, and that became the lens through which we looked at everything as we were being formed growing up and continue to be formed. And, and so this notion that gets proposed that 
faith and reason, there's no intersection between them is, is a foreign concept to me. And it's really a challenge to be able to open my, my mind inspired by faith to that reality. Some people have that, uh, there is no marriage between those two things. And, uh, so it, it, it you know, we think about, well, there's, there's no rationality to our faith. Well, I see a great logic to our faith mm-hmm. as, as you were saying, but it's a logic that is based on premises that not everybody accepts, which is that the, the philosophical endeavor in a nutshell is, is you got to argue about what premises, mm-hmm. even when you throw out this concept of natural law, well, it's just, it's reality as you observe it. Well, two people can look at the same reality and, and have very different perceptions of what that is and, and what the premises are that, that are, are at the basis of that. What would, as, as Father Me is the more senior uh, cleric in this uh, illustrious radio Closer, show. By, by a lot. By a lot. Than yes, in no, this room. but still very, very active, um, <laughs> which we're very proud of, and we'll ask that he work until he's 80. Um, but <laughs> where would you see historically, what would have. Uh, led uh, St. John Paul uh, to write this document, to promulgate it, to speak to the world, and not just the religious world, on that relationship of faith and reason. Does it go back to <clears throat> the Enlightenment? I know that might have been a fear, favorite period, Father Me, in your life, or as you might call it, the Renaissance. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I never did call it that. Um, well, he, he quotes, or he mentions, I think, as a uh, it must be also uh, 1998 is when it was published. And usually he would do things on the 100th anniversary of things as well. And so that would be Leo the Thirteenth, And Leo the Thirteenth, he um, does mention in the document, Fides et Ratio, that, you know, um, he's building upon what Leo the Thirteenth said. But I think he also brings out in the document that uh, almost daily, more day by day, we see a separation or a distinction between faith and reason, for they seem to be non-compatible or incompatible. But he begins this document by saying, but faith and reason are the two wings on which the human spirit rises to contemplation of truth. So, I mean, his whole point is, well, these are, these are two tools, or as he says, two wings on which we are to be uh, able to reach the truth, and we need both of them to do so. And of course, that in itself is a faith statement. And and when we think about from our faith perspective, well, why can we be rational at all? Why can we be reasonable? And we say, well, because God created us that way, mm-hmm. gave us that capacity to be able to reflect upon the revealed truths uh, that we accept in our faith and articulate some things about that and draw some conclusions from that in terms of the impact on our own lives. And, and all of that's very rational work that uh, is, is uh, based upon things we accept in our faith. And uh, again, we'd say, well, we can only do that because God lets us do that is gave him as that capacity. But again, not everybody's going to buy that. One of the recent uh, studies, I believe it was released uh, about two years ago, spoke about how young people today, why there's a drift specifically from the Catholic faith. One explanation they gave was that young people see that it is incompatible, faith and reason. They think that the church is against science. They believe that religion has been the cause of all wars. And for our young people, and for people, as Father Chris talked about, as believers, what about those who maybe are seeking truth, uh, how does the church and how would this discussion guide them into a belief to move away from 
uh, a relativistic belief, a belief that faith and reason cannot work. A quote that I came across is, while it is heartening to have St. John Paul defend reason as an ally of faith, reason is not always repaid the compliment. Mm-hmm. So that would set, seem to set up, um, is that, do we think that our young people today are siding more with that search that it's only about reason, it's about a secular grasping of the truth, if that's at all possible? But if it were, um, <clears throat> if we had a young person here, or just uh, addressing that if young people believe in such a way that uh, reason is the only road, then we could sit here and ask them, well, um, but really how much that you know do you know by your reason or simply that you really come to believe? So in any case like that, um, most of us, why we haven't gone through and searched for empirical evidence and reasoned through every single thing. Uh, if someone, if your mother, when you're a little child, tells you not to put your uh, hand on the hot plate, well, well, now you can go through and reasonably you can touch that hot plate and burn off your little fingers, and yes, then you have come the way of reason. But most of us, uh, we're told things and growing up, and we take them on faith. Now, later on, we may reach that through reason as well, but uh, almost everything. I mean, if I tell you there was the San Juan Pig War in 1859, you know. Uh, Off the Kokomo Islands? And, no, just right, <laughs> San Juan, Washington. And uh, you, Bishop, uh, <laughs> would question that, mm-hmm. but most of us would say, well, okay, that was historical, and we believe it. Now, then we'd go and do some research, and we may find out, actually, it was a pig, but someone may decide, well, no, really, I think it was a duck that caused that war. Um, so, but they begin, we begin, most of the things we do, we begin with faith. You know, it's like, all right, I'm going to make a trip to Rome. I've never been there before. Um, and so, first, I have to believe there is a Rome. Now, I've heard it, there is a Rome, and I've even seen pictures of it, but Actually, I have to believe in that place, be it Rome or whatever, uh, and then I use my reason to get to that place. But it starts with faith, and then reason is used. John Paul II, in the document, he goes both ways. He talks about you know, how um, faith leads reason, but then in another section, he talks about how reason leads faith. So I Maybe after the break, we can come back to that. But in any case, I think you need to have a talk with those uh, young people that you were referring Mm -hmm. to. (laughs) They might be a graduate of your school. We'll take a break now and get back. And our topic today on our radio show is faith and reason, its relationship, and how it's lived today. back. We're talking today of the topic of faith and reason, and a couple of definitions that might be helpful for us um, is that faith, in a commonsensical way, means a kind of trust we put in a person or thing based on evidence and experience. Faith in the religious sense is trust in God's promise based on evidence and experience of God's revelation. 
Father Me, how would you address that in those bright students you have at Cataldo School? <laughs> Very precocious. Yes. Well, you know, that's funny you mentioned that. Alapius, a first grader, was. Um, <laughs> we were having that conversation. Captain of the speech and debate team as a first grader, correct? Well, only the junior okay. uh, debate team. No. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. You got to be a fifth grader to be up on the. But yes. um, that's a good question, Bishop. But I think uh, one of the things to look at is, well, not only revelation, divine revelation, as far as scripture goes, but John Paul II talks about you know, nature as well. In other words, looking at creation, why we come to know the creator. And um, so again, it's, it's what we, uh, reason can lead to faith as well. I mean, we look at all of creation around us and it leads us to a faith that there must be a creator. It would be something like, if we were to walk into um, to a nice dining room and the table is set and it's fine china and you have the napkins set correctly, the silverware, the utensils are out, everything's set perfectly. Well, first of all, you'd know that there must have been someone who set that table, even though you don't know who that person was. So you'd have faith someone set it. Now, if the silverware was on the wrong side, the fork was where the knife should be, then you might know that, you know, maybe Father Connell had set the table. <laughs> That's where he is right now. So <laughs> setting the table. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, just by observing, by seeing that, it leads us to faith and that someone at least set that table. We look at creation, it leads us to a belief, a faith, that someone, there is a creator who created so I don't know if um, that's what Alapius and I were talking about, right, the right. first grader. Well, yeah. you mentioned scriptures, and, and perhaps the most helpful definition I've heard of what is the Bible is simply that it's a, a book written by people of faith, for people of faith, about faith. But that's not to say that there's no rationality to the scriptures. And one of my side interests happens to be archaeology, and I subscribe to this periodical that's called Biblical Archaeology Review. Mm -hmm. And as the title suggests of the periodical, it's really a, filled with articles that work on the interplay between the science of archaeology and the faith of the Bible. And, and so it's what can be discovered through archaeological means that substantiates what's recorded in the scriptures and then what in the scriptures can enlighten the work of archaeology when something is discovered underground and and the archaeologist asks, what is this and where are we and so forth? And what was the significance of this? They can refer to the scriptures. And, of course, as a science, the archaeologists are all over the board in terms of the credence they give to to the scriptures in terms of historical veracity and and personages that are described in the Bible. But it's, it's really... Uh, I find it interesting to to see how archaeologists can confirm uh, much of what is in the scriptures, and then as people of faith, accepting the scriptures as a, a document of faith uh, inspired by God that that again just strengthens that bond between the the, the faith and the reason and all that. You know, one of the things uh, Clement of Alexandria he said that philosophy, so we'll say reason. Um, it actually it builds a strong wall around faith. In other words, it can be used very much for faith because uh, using reason, it can keep the superstition and uh, those elements that are not truly of the faith but can sneak into that garden of faith. And so 
he said that you know, philosophy can be a wall around to protect the faith. Um, the faith, of course, can also, uh, when we live simply by reason, why we're putting a lot of faith in a school of reason, because there's different schools of reason. Now, Father Kirst was talking about some special movie he saw during the break, and Father Kirst, maybe you could mention that again. Yes, many of our listeners may be aware of the fine classical religious film Monty Python and the Search for the Holy Grail, hmm. right? Which uh, it has a has British a, movie. Yes, very British, very British, and and has a, a a real layer of religiosity and faith. But you were you were bringing up that at one point they used a certain they reasoned out whether this person was a witch or not, but the reasoning was so. Twisted, twisted, and based on some very un, uh, unfound premises. Unfound and, premises, and, and, but I mean that's reason on its own can go awry, and so correct. often we think simply, well, uh, it's irrational. That's true, but rational can go down rabbit holes uh, as faith can as well, and that's back to why John Paul says, well, first of all, there has to be something out there that both reason and faith are being led to. That's truth. But you need both wings. Otherwise, if you just have faith, you can get out of balance. In other words, your faith can become superstition. Or if you only have reason, why that can be imbalanced as well. Yes, and Father, me mentioned philosophy, and perhaps many of our listeners are aware that uh, for seminarians who are in a discernment process uh, in terms of is God calling them to priesthood, as they are at the college level of seminary, the requirement is that they have a certain amount of philosophy studies. In fact, virtually all seminarians major in philosophy. And that becomes then the requirement for entering into the theological studies. And some might say, well, that's another affirmation of the, the wonderful uh, interface between faith and reason that uh, those being formed for priesthood must be well trained in this this philosophy and the different manners of rationalizing and, and coming to statements of reason. From the historical point of view, the concept of the postmodernism, how do you think that has affected, Father Me, the whole breakdown, again, this rupture between faith and reason? Um, one thought has said that um, after the Enlightenment, humans put themselves in place of God. In the postmodern environment, that place is gone altogether. Well, would you agree to that as a postmodern poet? <laughs> yes, I would agree to that. Uh, John Paul in, the, in Fides et Ratio really dates it earlier than the Enlightenment. He says already by the late Middle Ages, you're beginning to have some philosophers splitting off from faith and reason, which up until that time were seen, again, as um, balancing one another. Um, certainly with the Enlightenment, I mean, Descartes, his whole thing, I think, therefore I am, all of a sudden it becomes man-centered, you know, centered on us as well. Before that, it was always in relationship to God, you know, who is God. And, and um, so with the Enlightenment, of course, it all comes out of empirical evidence, you know, using our reason, uh, dogma, tradition, all of that, bah, out the window. Uh, and think only of, well, what is your experience? But where that leads is the craziness we have today of where, well, that's not my experience. Well, none of us have a universal experience. So if we're only depending on our own experience, why 
that's going to be pretty limited, very superficial. Depending just on reason as well, is some of our reasoning is false reasoning. Uh, some of us not, might not be as rational as others. Um, so, I mean, there's all those fallacies to that um, as well. You mentioned Rene Descartes, and we just have to remember never to put Descartes before De Horse. Mm. So cogito ergo sum. A, a farming family. <laughs> Correct. Um, another thing coming across, being that my major at USF, I didn't go to Gonzaga as the two of you did, but. Um, you went to that lesser Jesuit. No, school. it wasn't. I think the it's one older, for those actually. who couldn't get into Gonzaga. Probably not. I think more my people day. might want to live. Well, you actually did it by correspondence course. I looked at your transcripts. That's uh, within my privy as the bishop. Uh, another great quote, the modern period pulled truth away from God and set it on rationality, and now the postmodern has removed truth from rationality. We live in a culture in which, again, the, the, well, the dictatorship of relativism was uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict's had written extensively on that. And now it is, what is truth? As if everybody's turned into well, I don't pilot. Think, I don't think people worry about what truth are, is anymore. They use... Uh, what again is called in the document instrumental reason. Mm -hmm. You know, in other words, uh, as long as I can give a reason for doing what I want to do, I, that whole search for truth has been lost to us. I mean, it's been, and that's one of the things John Paul says, you know, we have to uh, pitch that truth out there, and truly that's, that's what we're to be looking for in this life. But we use it, uh, we ration, rationalize to, well, what do I feel like doing and what do I want to do? So it becomes a much more meager uh, expression of reasoning and, as well. And if that expression gets challenged, how many people just, their response is, don't judge me. <laughs> well, the whole notion is the greatest sin now is judgmentalism, but we're going to talk oh, about that for another episode. That. <laughs> we're going to take a break right now. We'll come back. We're talking about faith and reason and especially the challenges uh, in our culture and society as, as people of faith to be able to explain to a world uh, what it is to believe uh, and that belief and faith are not in opposition to reason. Welcome back. I'm with uh, two of the vicars, uh, Father Connell. Actually, we had sad news that Deacon John Cecilia passed away, and Father Connell is uh, with uh, Deacon John's family. But joining me are our tried-and-true vicars, Father Me and Father Kirsten. We're talking about faith and reason at the break. Uh, Father Me spoke about uh, his studies on the Thirty Years' War. Um, usually, most people don't know that Father Me is a tremendous Civil War buff and has participated in some of those reenactments um, out in Chuila. But um, Thirty Years' War—I've never heard of a reenactment of Thirty Years' I've, War. I, I've been a model for some of those Confederate statues, you know. By the way, oh, geez, okay, that's for another topic, another show. We're in the rating sweep now. So, but Father Me, speak about the Thirty Years' War, and then you're going to talk about Augustine and a shell, a song you've written. <laughs> Which year of the Thirty Year War would you like uh, to? Whatever this listeners Whichever might you... need. Well, we were we were speaking about the Enlightenment earlier, mm -hmm. and I think uh, Father Kirst brought up, you know, uh, the issue of the Enlightenment, and then. Uh, religious. That doesn't, no. that doesn't sound like up? me. Okay. No. Was. Oh, well, no, was, that was Procopius. Maybe I, maybe I brought it up, or maybe <laughs> it was one of the students. Yes, at Capeldo, Procopius. That, of course, the Enlightenment comes in the 16th, 1600s, mm -hmm. and uh, previous to the Enlightenment, you were going through all of these wars of religion, you know, once with the Reformation and 
And with the split, and, you, know, you had all these different factions, religious factions. Well, religious factions love to go into war against one another. And that's kind of um, what they were doing in the 1600s. And the 30-year war was one part of that, that whole uh, uh, issue. But uh, so you had the Enlightenment, and they thought, well, how do we get ourselves out of this horrible predicament where we're killing each other over religion? And they thought, well, the best way of doing that, of course, is putting religion to the side and beginning to base uh, how they would go forward on you know, other principles. And so reason, so you get away from dogma, you get away from tradition, authority, no, don't pay attention to any of that stuff. Pay attention simply to your own reasoning and um, your own reasoning and uh, experience. But I wanted to tell a story about, I think maybe, especially as we're coming to the end of the show, uh, there's a wonderful story about St. Augustine. Now, I don't know if you know this, Bishop, but I'm stationed at St. Augustine's. Uh, yeah, I, I do believe Hill. I moved you there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you exiled me <laughs> there or something. <laughs> anyway, this, uh, this doesn't come from any of St. Augustine's writings, so it actually comes from a tradition regarding St. Augustine, but it's a story of one day he was walking on the beach, and he was contemplating, he had written De Trinitate, you know, the whole treatise on the Trinity, and he's trying to figure out and uh, consider this great mystery of the Trinity. Now, we have a stained glass window of that at St. Augustine's, mm. and St. Augustine is walking on the beach in his miter and chasuble <laughs> and crozier. Because that's what so, you wear at the beach. Yes. So, mm-hmm. Bishop, I hope uh, that is your. Beach I was wear up in as Rye, well. Me- Rye Beach in Maine in the summertime uh, <laughs> with, with, with my Ryan Crozier. All right. Well, anyway, so he's contemplating this, and he sees this little kid, you know, running back and forth. The kid had uh, dug a hole in the sand, running back and forth with the seashell, and taking water from the sea and putting it into the hole. And uh, St. Augustine watches him do this for a while, and finally he goes up and he says, Hey, kid, what are you trying to do? And the kid said, Well, I'm taking the water from the sea. I'm taking, I'm going to fill or take the sea and put it into this hole. And St. Augustine, of course, being the brilliant man he was, he says, Why, there's no way that you're ever going to be able to fit the entire sea into that little hole. And he said, The boy said, uh, well, I will be able to certainly fit it into that hole before you can fit the mysteries of God into that little head of yours. <laughs> so, excuse me, yes. excuse me for that. But I mean, in other words, the, at the end of the day, uh, no matter how far we've reasoned, for finally we depend on faith because if we could comprehend, if we could reason our way through the mystery of God, well, then God would be subject to us as opposed to us being subject to him. Uh, He is a mystery because he's incomprehensible in as far as we with our little brains, no matter how, you know, no matter what, are not going to be able to comprehend fully our creator. Thus, the virtue of humility, very much a part of the French school of spirituality, that unfortunately Father Me doesn't know much about, but Father Kirst would know about something about that. About the French school, I don't. Spirituality. Humility, I, I consider myself well-versed. You take great pride in humility. <laughs> yeah, that's Cardinal Baru. Baru. Uh, yes, that you... How about, how about Cardinal Mercier? Do you remember? No. 
Do you remember? Well, was he a member of the Manitoba Country no, Club? No, but he, <laughs> before an ordination, and you can do this before your ordination, he had a, a day of retreat for his pre, or for those ordinand, those who were going to be ordained. And he stood up, and of course, in that, he was Belgian, I think, mm-hmm. uh, flourish. He said, men, why is God calling you to the altar? And of course, they all think, well, because, you know, he wants us to be saints and all this, and that's all true. But Mercier said, he is calling you to the altar because he couldn't trust you as laymen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I believe in, in get... building up mm-hmm. and encouraging our seminarians <laughs> and young priests. Ah, yes. the great what, year the, what, what year would that have been? That would have been the early 1900s 100. because uh, he was a good friend of um, Dom Marmion as mm. well, the Benedictine. The ben- great Benedictine. Great Benedictine. Priest who wrote on so much on spirituality priesthood. Well, we thank you for being with us, and uh, we ask for your prayers for our diocese, and uh, that especially for those who struggle to believe that they might, as we say in the fourth Eucharistic prayer, all who seek you with a sincere heart. God bless, and thank you for listening to the Bishop and the Vickers.